Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. Welcome to episode three of the Front Office Exchange podcast. Today, we'll hear from Danny Sink, director of U.S. Open Championships for the USGA, the U.S. Golf Association. Danny and I go way back, and by way back, I mean the summer of 2001 at Pine Needles Golf Club in my hometown of Southern Pines, North Carolina, just outside of Pinehurst for the U.S. Women's Open. I was an operations intern for Danny and his team at PCM, Pinehurst Championship Management, where I did very glamorous things like painted fence posts and roped and staked uh, the entire golf course, seriously. It was my first real job in sports, and I wouldn't change a thing. It was an amazing experience. Uh, Later, I worked alongside Danny again at Wingfoot Golf Club in 2006 for the U.S. Open. I was full-time for the USGA at that point in corporate merchandising, and he had advanced to managing that entire event. Folks, running these events is not easy. It's often a thankless job and the hours are impossibly long. You've got to be a special kind of leader to juggle vendors, volunteers, and golf pros. And if you're able to do that while keeping a sense of humor, which Danny has, then you're in rare company. Plainly put, Danny's the best. This episode is a must listen for anyone looking to enter the sports industry, especially as it relates to events. And hearing Danny talk about how he and others from the original PCM team have advanced their careers into upper management is fascinating. It's a case study in how networking and, quote, as he puts it, grinding pays off. So without further ado, the USGA's Danny Sink. Danny, how you doing? I'm great, Jake. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, are you still in recovery from the Open or how are you feeling? I am. I'm, I'm feeling great. I just came off uh, our, our first rest that was a, a week vacation at the beach. So, uh, you know, every year after the U.S. Open's over, it takes a couple weeks to figure out who you are and where you're at and what you're what you're doing. But uh, usually by August, you, you get your legs back under you. I remember it fondly. How was it this year? You know, Oakmont's a great venue. Uh, being in Pittsburgh, this was my second uh, second time in uh, Oakmont. I was there in 2007 as well in a bit of a different capacity, but uh, going back and seeing familiar faces and and going to a great venue like Oakmont, you know, a top five golf course in the country was phenomenal. One of our curveballs, obviously, for what I do outside the ropes was was the rains, the torrential rains we had on Thursday. You know, you never can really prepare for that, but Overall, what a great community. Pittsburgh, if, if, if the listeners haven't been to Pittsburgh or visited Pittsburgh in the last 10, 12 years, they've done a great job with that city. It's a fun spot. Um, a lot of great restaurants downtown. So just taking in the experience outside of just what the U.S. Open brought was, was amazing. Yeah, I tell people, not that Pittsburgh is sneaky. Obviously, it's a huge city. But when uh, my wife, Paige, and I, you know Paige, when we lived up in New York in 07, we went out to Pittsburgh and did an interleague game uh, at PNC Park and then on Sunday did Sunday at Oakmont at the Open and had just the best weekend. So highly recommend it um, if you get a chance to get out there. But let's speak of the Open. You've, what, what, do you have any idea which number Open that is for you? Wow, you know, uh, I started. I'm put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I started my first U.S. Open uh, in an official capacity it was 1999 here in uh, Pinehurst, which was obviously very memorable. So just you know, looking at the raw numbers of that, uh, 
just for opens, uh, that's probably number 17 for me. So, uh, oh you know, gosh. they all sort of start mixing together at some point. But uh, I've seen a lot of great places and a lot of a lot of great memories. Yeah, so when you're talking about Pinehurst and Oakmont, places that you've been now twice, you know, you're seeing courses a second time around, how things have changed. Let's go all the way back. So obviously now you're in this great role. You're running the U.S. Open. You know, I've been fortunate enough to see you in action, and you're just unbelievable at it. But it's been a long road. Um, and when you started your career, you weren't even in golf. So I guess we could go quickly, start at the beginning of your career, and then how did you get your break into golf, or what was your introduction into championship golf? Yeah, I think I would take it all the way back to, you know, growing up in North Carolina uh, in a small town called Granite Quarry, which is outside of Salisbury, which is on I-85, between Charlotte and Greensboro. Um, you know, I didn't play golf growing up, didn't didn't really grow up in that that kind of lifestyle while I was out playing golf every, every day. Um, you know, I, I didn't know much about it. I went to school at UNC Wilmington, um, got a job caddying at a local course just by chance. My roommate came home with a flyer. I'd played golf probably 10 or 12 times in my life. Really fell into that role um, when I was a sophomore in college, started caddying a lot, saw the lifestyle that, you know, the folks, not even not even the, the members of the club where I work, but just the staff and met a lot of great people and met one of my, my dear lifelong friends now, Robbie Zalznick. We were working together. Um, at the course in Wilmington and, and sort of fell into that. I graduated from UNCW in 1996 with a, a marketing degree from the business school. And like a lot of, lot of folks, um, particularly in the late nineties, didn't really know what I wanted to use that for. I didn't know, uh, you know, whether I wanted to get into sales, whether I want to get into, to, you know, whatever it may be, go to grad school. Um, the head pro at the course I was at actually got a head pro job in Colorado at the Broadmoor. Went with him for a year, spent some time in Phoenix, kind of bumping around golf courses, sort of doing the same thing I was doing while I was in college. And then, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those relationship things. Uh, my friend Robbie, who I'd met in college, got a job uh, working on the uh, 1997 event uh, Club Pro Championship here in Pinehurst. So it gave me the opportunity to come back to North Carolina, do an internship uh, and just kind of. I wouldn't say fell into it, but I paid some dues and, and, and really got very lucky. My first job out of college was something I really loved, and I've, I've been doing it ever since, which you don't hear a lot of. But, uh, you know, been around the country, been around the world uh, working on events, and it's kind of come full circle now that I'm back in Pinehurst. Right. So let's talk about Pinehurst a little bit more. So Pinehurst, uh, for those that don't know, just an amazing town. I'm biased, clearly. I grew up there. Um, but they had so many events in a, what was it, a three or four year span that did you create Pinehurst Championship Management for that purpose? Um, or had that been in existence? Just talk about how that little management group existed um, running all of those events those several years. Back before I started in, in 1994, um, the USGA came here with the Senior Open. Uh, they had the Senior Open down here. And, and at that point in time, you know, the USGA didn't, didn't, didn't run the Senior Open, didn't run the Women's Open. And for the most part, clubs ran those events, you know, the local host clubs. Pinehurst didn't have uh, an arm to do that, to, to run the 94 uh, Women's Open, 96 Senior Open. I misspoke earlier. But Pinehurst didn't really have an arm to do that, so they created um, a group called Pinehurst Championship Management back in, back in the early 90s. Um, they worked on some tennis events they had here. They worked on the 90, as I mentioned, the 94 and the 96 um, 
senior open and women's open. So they, they started hiring some young folks that, that were from the local area um, to, to work on these events for, for the club, um, knowing that they didn't have an arm to, to do that. And it kind of, kind of grew from there into ultimately running the 1999 U.S. Open 2001 Women's Open down here. Um, we all worked together on the 2002 U.S. Open up in Baltimore, Maryland, and then uh, finally 2005 U.S. Open here. So it was kind of a, a great story of a couple local folks, men and women, that came together to, to start start small and, and run a little event and, and really made a good run of about you know 10 or 12 years of, of championship golf that kind of morphed into a lot of us eventually working for the USGA, the, the company that we had, we had uh, been subcontracted to to run these events for. So kind of an interesting story in, in a lot of the leadership now from the USGA has roots in Pinehurst. And a lot of us that started way back when in the nineties are, are still around. So, right. It's unbelievable. The number of people, if you could talk a little bit about the alumni of that group. Now, obviously um, you are with the USGA. You mentioned some others. I know Reg Jones, but then, uh, you know, one person now is with the masters, correct? David Benny, um, and then there's some others that have remained in sports as well, correct? Sure. You know, one of the one of the principals early on, the, the head of the group um, at Pinehurst Championship Management, uh, John Wagner, still in the business. He represents golfers and has a management company now. And Reg Jones was his lieutenant, who's still my boss at the USGA now. Really, what became from from all these folks working for us in in the 90s and then 2000s? We've got alumni at the PGA of America that have interned for us. We've got just people spread all over the country that kind of came from this, uh, came from this Pinehurst championship management background and all worked together and chipped in. A lot of them have gone on to, um, within sports to do a lot of great things in sports and, and some have left, but, um, really shows you the camaraderie and, and what can become of when you work really hard and have some great people that you recruit. Um, you know, everyone from David, who you mentioned at, at, uh, at Augusta, who works on the Masters now, John Hanley was was one of our friends that we worked with. He's the director of corporate sales for the PGA of America, you know, and and even people that that didn't stay in the sports world. One of our great friends, Libby, runs a yoga studio in Greensboro and owns that. So it's it's funny how we've all kind of grown up together and and went on to do great things. But a, a, a big majority of the USGA now, from a U.S. Open standpoint, got their start here in Pinehurst. So are are you by the way are you taking a stand is yoga not a sport I think that's what you just did <laughs> I'm gonna all right I'm gonna get you in trouble Hey so you talked about the the alumni and how everybody's moved on You've also talked about the transition to the USGA Did explain that for me So did Pinehurst Championship Management Did it have kind of a Did it dissolve or did you use your network to then move into the USGA uh, both, really. You know, uh, it, it had a life cycle. Um, the championship management arm down here, there are only so many championships that, that we could run out of this office. We, we were comfortable doing things on the eastern seaboard. You know, we did some events, and as I mentioned, Baltimore in the early 2000s. And, and really, um, after 2005, um, I had left. Prior to that, I'd been recruited to another company that was similar to Pinehurst Championship Management that did events all over the country. Um, in the early 2000s, after we finished up our senior open at Case Valley, um, went out to work in, in Denver, Colorado for a company doing, doing some of the same things. But um, after 2005, it just became apparent that we couldn't sustain, you know, a staff of 15 for an event every five years. So 
that's where it kind of dissolved and, and it actually most of the people that, that were working or had worked at Pinehurst Championship Management actually uh, became USGA staff members at that point, including my boss, Reg, and, and uh, Robbie and all the folks that had been at Pinehurst Championship Management with me kind of uh, were, were now with the USGA. And it, it was it was a great transition. We, we really, uh, really had a lot of great people. And, and now we still we, we maintain a, a U.S. Open office in Pinehurst where about nine of us work. Um, Although our our company's based in New Jersey, we we've got a, a pretty good uh, following here of folks that started here and continue to work here, but do a lot of traveling out of here. Sure. Now, was there a period? Maybe it was around that transition where um, you, you almost say uh, you got your career break, or do you feel like? your career had launched when you were at Piner's Championship Management, or do you feel like it hit another gear when you joined the USGA? You know, I, I know this probably comes up with everyone entering the sports business. Uh, you know, you, you think about people coming out of college, everyone wants to work in sports. They, you feel like it's glamorous. You feel like, hey, I'm going to be hanging out with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. This is great. How do you do this? I still get it to this day on cross-country plane flights. I'll have a, a $5 million a year attorney sit beside of me saying, wow, I wish I could have your job. Um, with that said, there are a lot of decisions. There are a lot of sacrifices to it. My, my first job in the golf business um, above and beyond caddying and working at those clubs, when I came back to Pinehurst, I worked for six months for free as an intern, um, got housing and, and got food and things like that. But I sacrificed. I was you know, 25 years old and kind of doing the same thing I'd been doing in college for four or five years. And I was like, wow, let me give this a shot and, and really put it out there. And I think when I first got hired in Pinehurst, I was making $22,000 a year. So it's not something that you can just jump into and say, hey, I want to be executive in sports. I'm straight out of college. I know what I'm doing. But my turning point really for me is when when I joined, officially joined the USGA. As I mentioned, I was living in Denver, Colorado and got a call Um from Pete Bavacqua, who who now is the CEO of the PGA of America, who at the time was was uh, was in my boss's role now at the USGA, got a call and said, "Hey, we have an opening at the USGA," and you know I thought long and hard about it, and that's really where my career um, crossroads was, if you will. You know, I was on a certain path where I was jumping around, working for different management companies, doing doing things all over the country, and that's really the call. And I got that call in 2003, I guess. Um, that really changed it and sent me to where, you know, 13, 14 years later, I knew I'd love sports. I knew I was uh, knew I was looking to do something in sports and enjoyed what I did. But that was really the turning point for me was was that call and then accepting a job um, helping out with the 2004 U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills, where it became apparent to me that, hey, this is this is a career choice now and not just a not just a fun job. Right. And as fun as it is, you know, not everyone knows how hard it is. Uh, in addition to just the day-to-day -day operations, dealing with everyone from volunteers to vendors, um, you're moving. Is it every two years to a new city? Just uh, talk about that, making new friends, you know, living in different cities. That, that lifestyle is not for everybody. Sure, that's a great point, uh, you know particularly in sports and particularly what I do in, in golf and major golf um, championships, particularly with the USGA and the PGA of America events that move around the country every year. Um, 
it's a lot of sacrifices. Like I mentioned before, I've moved, I've moved probably nine or 10 times, um, in the last 16 years across the country. I've lived in the Northeast, the Southeast, the Midwest, the Northwest, um, California a couple of times. So I've been on the road. My, my roots certainly don't, don't grow that deep, um, when I move somewhere. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta put in the time and uh, I've, I've done my time and I've, I've finally gotten to a spot where I have a, pretty much a stable base of where I live. I just travel a lot now, but it's not just come in and particularly in our world of, of, as I mentioned, golf, uh, come in and, Hey, I want to work right out of college and I never want to move and things like that. It's, it's, uh, it's a commitment. Um, it's, it's a, a strain and it's not easy to your point. And you talk about fun. Um, I think you could probably talk to anyone on our staff, on the operations staff of the U S open. Our, our jobs are fun. 50 weeks a year, the week before the U S open and the week of the U S open, ironically, aren't, aren't, I wouldn't classify as fun. Um, you know, it's 20 hour days for, for three to four weeks in a row. And it's almost, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean, it literally is 20 hours a day. That's not an exaggeration. Um, (laughs) you know, we just came out of Oakmont and there's two nights that I didn't sleep at all. And because of some of the weather conditions and it's nothing we've done wrong or not an error in preparation, but, you know, it's just what it is. You know, it's a 24-hour operation. When you think of bringing 260,000 people onto a, a piece of property that's a golf course that doesn't have any infrastructure, you know, your gates open at 6 a.m., your buses start rolling at 4 a.m., you've got overnight servicing folks that come in at 10 p.m. So it's a, literally a 24-hour city that uh, that we maintain for that week of the championship. So um, it's challenging. It, it, you... you you bond with the people you work with. You don't let those people down. So you're all in the same boat together. Um, and it, you just come together and make it happen. But, uh, it is a lot of fun 50 weeks a year. And, you know, some of the, some of the freedoms you have of having a job like this, you know, you're not tied to a desk from eight to five every day. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but you, you get to see a lot of great things I've done amazing things um just by being in the golf industry you know everyone loves golf and everyone knows a little bit about it um so there are perks but it's also a lot of hard work yeah so uh, you go back to the open you know those couple months where it's very intense not that it's an easy job to get but you are staffing up uh in terms of interns and people that can help on the operation side and and obviously there's other things like merchandising and in other areas like that what do you look for in those interns? How do you recruit those interns or even at the entry level as well? You know, kind of looking at it from those that are maybe rising seniors and trying to figure out what they're going to do in a year or those that are just graduating in May because that rolls right into open timing. So what are the types of, you know, entry level employees, interns you're looking for there? There's two answers to that question. Um, we're looking for folks that are excited about sports. They don't necessarily need to be great golfers. They don't need to have worked in sports, but you, you can almost see it in someone's eyes that, that is willing to take on this, this challenge of a very unique role. A lot of response. We give our interns a ton of responsibility. You were an intern. I was an intern. You know, we can both speak to that, how much responsibility you're given as an intern working for an event like this. You know, you're managing people, you're managing operations. No matter what you're doing, you're you're sort of in a management role. So you're asked to take on a lot of responsibility right away, which I think for a lot of folks coming out of straight out of college or their senior year, you aren't 
in an internship, you're, you're kind of doing menial tasks and things like that. And we, we challenge our interns. We, we get a lot. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we hire about a hundred interns every year to work on the U S open, whether it be in our merchandising operation or opera, you know, our on course operations, uh, admissions. So we have a lot of variety. We have a lot of people that come back. We get a lot of referrals from sports management programs around the country. We probably get 500 applications for, for you know 80 to 100 spots every year so we really have a great a great field of of folks that want to do it want to want to experience uh from local folks to people that have that have interned four or five times for us but we do as i said we we put a lot of responsibility and you know the term intern almost gets misused at times um these folks are on our staff they're not we don't consider them interns we we expect them to represent the usga and represent what we're what we stand for and, and the professionalism that, that is the USGA and around a lot of, a lot of people during the week of the championship. So, um, you know, it's, it's ironic. You mentioned that I, I probably get one email a week uh, or two emails a week from 45 year old professionals that are like, Hey, I'm, I've been doing accounting. I'm going through a life change right now. I'd love to come and work for your organization. And, and I say, well, let's talk about it a little bit and I'll tell you how I got started and how you would get started. And, uh, you know, quickly when I tell them that that an internship is typically how you get get involved in this uh, in this in this business, and it's and it's pretty pretty low pay and a lot of hours and things like that. A lot of them really quickly reconsider what they're looking for and, and uh, what responsibilities they have. But uh, you know, another challenging thing, Jake, you mentioned you, you hire a lot of people that haven't done what we're asking them to do—the 20-hour days, whatever it may be—the the hard work. You really don't know who's going to sur- survive that. You don't know who's going to who's going to rise to the top. You know, the cream rises to the top, but until the the week of the championship, you don't really know because you know if, if you're an intern and you start in February of the championship year, you may be working 40 hours a week, and you know pretty much everyone can do that and 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 be sustainable when they do that. But then you start throwing 80 hours a week at them and long days. You, it's kind of one of those trial by fire things and. I like to say in this business, you you know, after one event, whether you're cut out for it or not, it's not, yep. you know, it's not middle of the road. It's either, okay, I got it, or I need to find it, you know, and, and I think 95% of people fall out and try to find someone else, something else to do that may be not necessarily easier, but a different, a different kind of lifestyle or enjoyment. But the 5% that make it, they're, they're in you know, they're almost lifers, you know, you've, you've kind of come, come to us and left us a couple of times. And it, you know, I would dare say that nothing can replicate the thrill of knowing that you're responsible for, for an event on that Sunday afternoon when, when there's 50,000 people around the 18th green and in the satisfaction you have of knowing you were there from day one, whether you're an intern, whether you're directing the U S open, whether no matter what involvement you have there, there's nothing that can quite describe that rush. And just in terms of advice that you'd give to that group, um, you know, what does the what do the other kind of functional areas within the USGA and you've worked with other groups as well. um, But let's say someone's interested in getting involved in the legal side or, again, merchandising or hospitality or something like that. And those internships are fewer and farther between. You mentioned you hire maybe 80 to 100 people or something along those lines. And those groups may just hire one. Do those groups like to see people when maybe they're hiring two or three years down the line? Do they like to see someone that has worked in operations, that has, 
you could say paid their dues a little bit. Uh, just curious if you have any perspective as it relates to that. Absolutely is the answer. Um, you know, listen, the experience of being on a U.S. Open team, no matter whether you work in the merchandise operation, the operations part, legal, as you mentioned, admissions, whatever it is, any type of experience, knowing that you've been through it really pays dividends no matter what you do. And my advice to to everyone coming into it, and, and I preach this and I bang my fists on the table every time I talk to a group of incoming interns or, or folks that are new to the organization, and, and I did not do it my first one or two years when I was with the organization. I kick myself every day for it. I think a lot of people come into the role as, what's my job? I'm going to do my job, and that's all I'm going to do. And what I preach is no one's ever going to fault you for asking questions about, hey, what does Jake do? I know what my job is, but hey, I see this guy Jake all the time. What what does he do, and what what's his job? It's never going to hurt you to know more than what you're responsible for. I'm not saying you need to go do other jobs. I'm not saying you need to, to in, invade on other people's time and things like that, but you know, you can always tell there's there's five or six interns every year at the U.S. Open that just get it. They they know that, hey, I want to open my eyes and see what else is going on here. I know I have responsibilities and I'll do my responsibilities and I'll get my job done. But I want to introduce myself to this person and see what their job is. And, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, that's a person that you kind of make a, a, a star beside and say, hey, this person was very inquisitive. They wanted to know above and beyond what their actual job responsibilities were what other people were doing, what other opportunities there were there. And that's hard to teach. You know, I don't think there's a college course in, in that. And that's something that's that's been ingrained into someone that has drive and and really sh- shows the wherewithal to know that there's a bigger, you know, there's a bigger prize at the end. So, you know, we, and we get kids like that every year um, that, that continue on with us or go on to, to do other things and are, are great in business. So um, that would be my one if I could give one piece of advice is don't don't pigeonhole yourself into what you're just responsible for. Take a look around, ask questions, um, use that time being a part of that team to, to learn as much as you possibly can. When you look around the industry, whether it's, let's just say sports in general, uh, are is there any other executive that you look up to that look this person is just doing it right or maybe it's another golf event where wow you know i know the usga has got some constraints and 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 you guys have your own unique way of uh let's say setting up the course (laughs) um but any other events or anything like that like wow you know what these guys are really doing a great job again whether it's events or executives just to be clear i have nothing to do with the golf course set up i'm outside the road uh (laughs) solely so so uh I want that on record, but no, that's a great question. I, I've met uh, executives at, you know, one of one person that's helped me in the, in the past quite a few times is is a gentleman that runs the the college football bowl championship series. He's based in Texas and he's moved ten times, and I call him two or three times a year just to ask him questions. You know, he's he's been doing this for a long time, and even though it's a different a different thing, it's a different event. Uh, you know, I lean on him to answer some questions. I've got some friends that work at the NHL and NFL in New York um, that do different types of things. But um, anyone that that runs an event like an Olympics or something that's not a static, I, I respect everyone, you know, whether you run the Charlotte Coliseum or, or AT&T Park out in San Francisco or wherever it may be, running an event and running a venue is, is challenging. But I, I kind of, I kind of, 
lend myself to the folks that run events that aren't at static places every year, whether it be, you know, the World Cup, the Olympics, things like that, that, uh, that provide a distinct challenge each and every venue. The folks that, you know, are building a golf course in Rio for the Olympics, you know, things that you got to think outside the box. And I'm not saying that running, uh, you know, the, the football stadium in, in Charlotte is, is a piece of cake, but you have a structure, you have seats, you have seat numbers, you have a vendor that does the same booth every week, you have the same parking lots every week. I, I tend to admire and, and look up and um, like to model myself after, you know, the events people for the Super Bowl. It's in a different venue every year and you're dealing with different groups. And I think that's what makes my job fun is Every day my job is different. I don't have a Monday, 8 a.m., this is what I'm going to do. I could be talking to the CEO of a, one of our major partners, Rolex, whoever it may be, on a Monday morning. And after that call, I may have a call with one of our volunteer leadership folks or I may have a call with our vendor that handles trash. My job is completely different at every minute of every day, and I think I, I think I enjoy that. It doesn't get stale. No two days are the same. They never have been. I've been doing it for, you know, for 18, 19 years now. Um, no job, no, no job day is ever the same. But to answer your question, just the folks that deal with a different challenge every year, I think, are the ones I look up to. And, um, you know, with the, particularly when you talk about venues, the PGA Championship guys kind of operate the same way we do. They're at a different championship venue every every year. And, it's a challenge working with different agencies every year and, and bringing your product to a place that's not used to having it. That's, that's a, that's a huge challenge. Now I know you say no two days are the same, but you know, there is a, a routine to some extent, you know, whether you're an ear, a year out for the open or whether you're in those 20 hour days. So what does, and I'm not going to say what does an average day look like? Cause again, I know it's a train wreck every day when you're getting close, but do you have a routine, something that helps you get into your day? Is it, you know, I call two or three vendors for sure to start the day, touch base with them, and, and then before you go to bed, there's a handful of things that you do? You know, I've read an article, you know, five or six years ago, and it, and it talked about email. And I think, you know, with smartphones and email and social media, I think, you know, Everyone's tied to emails all day, waiting for emails to come in, waiting for it. And I think one thing that, that's been very helpful for me and it helps me get a routine going is, you know, checking your email first when you get into the office for the first, you know, 30 minutes of the day. I try to do that every day, no matter whether I'm on the road, whether I'm in my office. And then I take, you know, an hour-long break from the email and start getting other things done and look at to-do lists and things like that. I think that helps me kick off. A day it helps some some consistency in my day no matter where I'm at whether I'm in Pinehurst or at one of our sites all over the country um, I think that kind of steadies me um, makes makes me look at what my task list is for the day you know it's not necessarily making phone calls or things like that it's just getting getting grounded making sure I review my schedule for the day making sure I know you know what I need to do that day and in that kind of starts my day off. I don't really have, you know, that's, you know, 48 weeks a year when, when the USO, when it's us open time, let's say Memorial day to July 4th is sort of our go time. It's completely different. It's wake up at, wake up at 4am, get to the golf course, you know, just a whole new ball game, but 48 weeks a year, that's, that's kind of how I kick off my day for 30 minutes is to check email and 
make sure I'm I'm ready to go and then uh, go from there and try not to try not to be married to my email. Try not to have that open consistently all day long. I think that in some cases hurts your productivity and I think you, you get more done when you're not a slave to that. Right. Uh, let's now look at someone who's maybe five, six, seven years into their career. You know, you talk about that pivot point where you were going in between different management groups before you joined the USGA. You know, people look at you and you've mentioned people like Reg and David Benny and uh, Peep of Aqua you know, to say, how do I make that next step? Um, you know, your career, you feel like maybe is going in the right direction, uh, but they want to go from, and not that there's anything against other events, but they want to make that step to championship golf. What do you, what does the USGA look for in those candidates? I'm probably the textbook case of that. I was five years into my career and I'd been jumping around and, you know, vertical jumps each time I was taking more and more opportunity. I was learning as much as possible. I was learning the business, whether it be from the volunteer in, from the corporate sales in, from the vendor in. And, and I had to make a decision is, is this what I want to do? You know, I was, I was approaching 30 years old and it's kind of one of those cases where a lot of people, you get out of college and you, you jump around for the first couple of years. And then, you know, I, I think it was a great opportunity for me because I had been kind of in the business and I'd seen, you know, what, what that next step was. I had a great mentor and, and way back when John Wagner and Reg, and I've been lucky enough to have Pete Bavacqua. So I've had three great mentors in, in my career, which um, I'm very spoiled where that goes. But I, you know, I looked at it as, okay, this is, this is a good opportunity for me. Um, I'm going to commit myself to 10 years of doing this. If it's not working out, I'll be 40 and I can, kind of make up that next pivot point. So I didn't say when I was 30 years old, hey, I'm going to work for the USGA. I'm going to retire with the USGA. I, I kind of took it as a, you know, a 10 year. And then, you know, things happen and you meet people and you get married and you have kids and that changes your whole perspective on things. But there have been a couple of those since then. You know, each time I moved, I'm, I mentioned I moved nine or 10 times. It was great when I was moving to New York City and I was, I was, young and, and um, single, and that was a very attractive move for me back in 2004. But, you know, fast forward 10 years, and I've got, you know, two great children and a wife, and is another move what I want to do. So I think life life happens. It's, it, uh, particularly in this world, in the sports world, um, it, it necessitates you missing things. You know, I've missed you know, important, important things in, in my family. And I realized that I'm, I've not been around my kids more than 20 minutes for the first five father's days of my daughter's life, because mm -hmm. that's the day we end on at the U S open, but you make, you make changes, you know, you celebrate father's day a week later and make that a right. tradition. So you, you do things, um, to make up for that. And with that said, um, the opportunities that it avails you and your family and your friends and your loved ones by just being in the sports industry and meeting people and networking and, um, being involved in it, I think far outweigh the, the sacrifices you have to make. But, um, that was my pivot point. You know, um, it was, I'll give myself 10 years. And I think that when I turned 40, I kind of reevaluated again and said, Hey, I really like where I'm at. I've made a lot of progress of, I've continually moved up and, and I've got a great situation here. So I decided to re up again. 
Yeah, and I, but I think the, the common misconception sometimes is, are you looking for that uh, PGA, someone that's come out of a PGA program in college? Or are you looking for someone that's come out of a sports management master's program? Um, you know, you talked about yourself, you had played 10 or 12 times before you got into it. You know, I'm not a golfer, um, and I spent a few years with Piners Championship Management in the USGA. You know, does someone need to be scratch? Um, to to get that opportunity? Absolutely not. You know, we've got folks that work for our organization that are great golfer. You know, our the leader, of, our CEO is a, is a scratch handicap. Mike Davis is a great player, played in college. We've got people that work with us that have never picked up a golf club, but besides putt-putt or messing around during the U.S. Open. So I think it's more about your personality. I, I, I don't I don't necessarily think in, in the sports business you can be an introvert. I think it's, it's, it's very extroverted. You're communicating with people, and ultimately what you're doing, um, I can assume with whether it's what I do or whether it's what Mark Cuban does or whoever it may be, not that I'm comparing myself to him. You just you literally just did <laughs> I that. did. I did. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't randomly know why Mark Cuban came to mind, but um, – it's it's kind of funny you you're dealing with people no matter what you're doing you know whether you're running a golf event or you're working for the Carolina Panthers and corporate suites or you're an intern in the ticket office at the Charlotte Hornets ticket office or NC State football it, you know the, the common denominator with sports is people you know you're always dealing with people and and I think some people get it and some people don't some people don't enjoy that some people don't enjoy you know, I, I know, you know, when I met you, you couldn't speak in front of three people without freezing up and, and uh, all that. And now you're giving seminars on public speaking. I think it it comes out and you, you learn what you're good at. And if you're good with people and you, you can motivate people to stand behind you and support you in what you do, the sports industry is for you because ultimately that's what you're doing, no matter what, what part of the business you're in, whether you're in the marketing side or operations side or it's it's all about people and, and managing managing expectations and managing relationships. I think is is very underrated. So let's as an aside, let's go back uh, to something you said a couple minutes ago. Um, the last episode, uh, I talked to Michael Beal at UNC about mentors and, you know, people like Michael and yourself, you guys are both mentors to me, you know, people I've looked up to. What's it like working for and as closely with as you do with Reg Jones, who's a mentor. You said that he's a mentor to you. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's people in different industries. You, you, you talked about the one person you call with college football. I mean, completely different uh, area of the sports world. But you work for and with Reg every day. What's that like? Probably unique. Um, I've worked for Reg and with Reg um, since 1990. You know, he, he ultimately gave me my first job in in the sports industry beyond caddying at a local golf course it's been very unique we've kind of grown up together you know when we met each other we we neither one of us were were married we neither one of us had kids um it's kind of a, a really a symbiotic relationship you know we we've we've laughed we've fought we've cried you know you go through all the different relationships it's one of beyond my parents and, and my family he's he's one of the people that i've known the most in my life so um He's been a great mentor. You know, he always tells me, you know, to this day and even when I started when I was when I was my first my first year on the job is 
you know, one thing he stresses is, you know, just do the right thing. That's, that's pretty simple and, and kind of pretty bland. But, you know, if you, if you, if you, when you have a tough decision to make, if you, if you do what's right, what you think is right, no one's ever going to question it. You know, it may be someone may come up and say, Hey, you know, that, that, uh, I was thinking something different, but if, you know, in your heart and in your mind, if it's the right decision, whether it be business, personal, whatever it is, just do the right thing. And I think he's always kind of, um, kind of brought that to the forefront. Uh, you know, we've been the, we've been the battle together, you know, some of the, some of the, the, the obstacles was overcome at the U S open. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science or fighting wars or curing cancer, but we've been in some tough spots where we have to get things done and, you know, we all kind of come together and, you know, when stuff needs to get done, we all chip in no matter what our title is, no matter how long we've been around, no matter how much money we make, we're all out there together. So I think that's very unique in the, in the sports world and particularly in what we do and in, in running these major events, it's, we're all in this together and, and Reds has been a great mentor to me from the start. Very cool. What's next for you? What's next for the USGA, the US Open? I know that's three questions and it's a whole can of worms. Um, but is there anything in the next few months, whether it's for you personally or maybe the USGA is rolling out a new initiative um, that people can look for? Sure, it's a great question. Uh, really, on the on the the first part of it, what's what's next for me personally is is I'm focused on 2017. You know, we we finished up at Pittsburgh, and it's kind of on to the next one. Um, 2017, our U.S. Open is in outside of Milwaukee, about 45 minutes outside of Milwaukee. We've never been in Wisconsin with the men's U.S. Open before. We've had some great women's events there. It's always a, a learning cycle uh, or a learning curve for folks that haven't hosted the event. Our events in a community of 800 people, and we're going to introduce 235,000 people to that community in June of next year. So it's an education process. I spend about two weeks a month in Milwaukee right now working with our on-site team there, coordinating everything that goes along with having the U.S. Open, whether it be public safety, volunteer recruitment, ticket sales, recruitment of vendors, um, you know, anything from gathering parking lots to understanding the routes to get people to the championship, working with the host club. So on, on my end, that's what it is. We've got some exciting things from an organization-wide um, initiative. We're always trying to improve things. We're always, you know, trying to make our event the best it can be. Um, we have an exemplary championship program that we review after each U.S. Open, what we do right, what we do wrong, what can we improve for next year. So we continue to work on that. Um, we're really focusing on bringing the women's open and the u.s senior open up to the level of the of the u.s men's open as far as operations go so we're taking those really in-house um starting uh starting in a couple of years where we won't really necessarily work with a management company we'll kind of take those events in-house so we're really excited about that as well provides us a lot of opportunity for to get some people on board um but otherwise, it's, it's evolving. Um, our event yep. from technology has changed. We've, we've allowed mobile devices in for the last two years now. Some of the platforms that we work with, some of our, our business operations that do that. We, we always are looking to improve the spectator experience, whether it be on TV, in person, at the championship. Um, you know, if you look at my first U.S. Open in 1999 to, to a couple months ago at Oakmont, it's apples and oranges. So uh, and not, not even close, yeah. sure. So, um, 
Yeah, no, sorry to interrupt you. Um, so you mentioned your routine earlier, so we can wrap up. I can get you get you back to dealing with volunteers in Milwaukee. But uh, as part of your routine, you talked about email. Is there anything else? Any? Are you a podcast guy? I mean, I know you are now, obviously. You're going to listen to one, right? Uh, <laughs> I love podcasts. Are you a podcast guy? Do you, are there magazines, websites, sure. anything that you read, You know, good books that you've read, uh, that you'd recommend? Yeah, great. Um, guilty pleasures. Um, not a huge uh, fiction reader. I'm a big nonfiction um, guy. I like biographies. Bill Simmons is my guilty. I've been I've been reading Bill Simmons and listening to Bill Simmons as long as he's been doing podcasts since he was a sports guy. So I'm partial to him. Um, Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorites. Uh, he's got some podcasts out there. When I really am on a cross-country flight and want to check out and laugh a little bit and uh, get a, get a little uh, cynical, I listen to Adam Carolla when I when I have sure. the chance to. Um, Mike Rose got some little snippets that uh, he does um, called "The Way I Heard It." It's just little ten-minute stories. Um, you know, I, I'm on social media a lot. I travel. You know, that that's another part of the story. I was on the road probably about 210 days last year. So I'm a road warrior. I travel a lot. So I do like to check out. I don't, I don't just get on a plane and open my, open my computer and start working. I like to get away as far as books goes. Uh, I've got two kids under, under six. So I think the last book I read was definitely a Dr. Seuss book, probably. Right, dog right. Um, right. But I do have a copy of the Alexander Hamilton book that, Knowing my reading rate and the book's about a thousand pages, it's going to take me about 16 years to read it. So, uh, we'll get through that, um, by the time I retire. But, uh, no, I love, love podcasts. I'm on the road. As I said, I'm on a plane and, uh, and podcast and 70 soft rock radio on Pandora are probably my guilty pleasures. Okay. Uh, now I know this question is not going to work for everyone, but I used it last time with Michael and it worked for him, but I, I know that you're a golfer, you work in golf, so it really works. Um, so say you're, you're out on a course. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. You got to choose one U.S. Open course, your favorite course that you've worked at. Where would you be playing and who would make up the rest of your foursome? Wow. Um, I'm not going to answer the first part of that. Oh, come on. on. All right. All right. So you're Piners number two. You're Piners, <laughs> Piners number two. Number I'll give two. It to okay. You. you got it. Um, <laughs> definitely uh, a friend of mine, Stephen Curry would be in that, that foursome, a, a Charlotte sure, guy. Um, my childhood hero and who I was going to replace in right field for the New York Yankees when I got old enough, Reggie Jackson. And okay. then, uh, I don't know the, uh, I was a huge, you know, growing up in Salisbury, the Hornets came around when I was, when I was growing up and Rex Chapman was always, always my favorite player. So I'd go Steph Curry, Reggie Jackson and Rex Chapman. <laughs> I love it. The Hornets got a lot of love in this podcast. You got, you still got North Carolina on your oh, mind, man. Kelly Trapuca, Kurt Rambis. I'm, I'm there. Yes. I may or may not have a Kelly Trapuca starting lineup <laughs> looking right back at me on my desk right oh, now. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me. All right. You mentioned social media. Where can everybody follow you? I'm, uh, we may have to edit this part. Um, <laughs> so you're, I you're am. on, I am on you're on Facebook. Media. Are you on Facebook I, or are you, are you like a lurker? You, you read and follow. No, I'm a Facebook. I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm LinkedIn. I'm Facebook. I don't, I don't know my, I don't know my hash, my, 
my names, but um, I'm pretty public on Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find you can find me at most places. So, all right. So Foursquare, I'll see you there. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Chat, and in my MySpace, I've got like 38 friends. So we're good there too. Fantastic. Well, Danny, I appreciate you taking the time. I think you dropped some great tips and pointers and advice for people trying to get into the industry. Uh, and for those that are already in it, maybe looking to take the next step and some really unique perspective on the open, where it is now, how it's changed over the last 10 years. So I appreciate you sharing that. Always uh, good catching up with you, Jake. Thanks. And uh, good luck with everything. Thanks, Danny. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 